Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. And so the title of my message this morning is Transformation. And this transformation that can only come by the presence of a living God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for this time to study your word. We study it with the help of the Holy Spirit. Believing for ears to hear it, hearts to receive it, minds to be open to it. And most importantly, change us, transform us by what we hear from glory to glory. Hallelujah. That we might rise up to a place, dear Father, that we stand for Jesus and all that he's died for and his finished work that it might be accomplished in every believer's life. In Jesus' name, amen. The most compelling evidence for Christianity is the transformation that takes place in people's lives when they come to Christ, they get saved. Were you transformed when you came to Christ? Did it change your life, your way of life, etc.? Sure it did. Well, as far as the Bible's concerned, Paul's conversion from Judaism to Christianity, and I like to say it this way, from terrorism to evangelism, is probably one of the most convincing transformations that has taken place in anyone's life on the Damascus Road. As a matter of fact, if you look it up, the Damascus Road is the road of transformation. They call it, the, they call it that. In Acts chapter 9, we see his story. He was transformed by the presence of Jesus. But let's, let's read it. This is from the New King James Version of the Bible. Then Saul, who became Paul, still breathing threats and murder against, notice this, threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus. And Damascus, by the way, is 136 miles away from Jerusalem. It takes about 40 hours to get there by foot. So that if he found any who were of the way, the way is the, was Christianity back then. That's what they called it, the way. Whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It's hard for thee to kick against the prigs or the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city. You'll be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple of Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he's praying. And in the vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from chief priests to bind all who call on your name. 
But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house. And laying his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road to as you came, has sent me that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days uh, with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. What a transformation. Now, it's true that God used Paul in a very powerful way to establish churches in the known world at that time. And he's traveled many, many, many miles. You can see here 136 miles just to Damascus to proclaim Jesus to the people that were lost. And you talk about suffering many things. He suffered being beaten with rods where they would beat the bottom of your feet so you couldn't walk until they were black and blue. He was then uh, striped five times, striped on his back, 39 times on his back. Jesus one time, him five times. Imagine that kind of a beating that he took. He was stoned and left for dead. The list goes on and on. He was shipwrecked. He was starving. He was in prison. All for Christ. Well, if you don't really know his story, you might think, well, that's a pretty dedicated guy. No, he wasn't always a Christian. Paul, Saul of Tarsus, was not always a believer in Christ. As a matter of fact, he hated Christ. He hated Christianity. He hated the church. He hated redemption. He hated resurrection and anything that talked about Christianity, he hated and was so vocal about it that he went anywhere he could go to get people to come to Jerusalem to be tried and they either recant or be beheaded, be killed. Now, that's a re Jewish religious zealot, if I ever heard of one. Matter of fact, let's read what he said about himself, starting in the book of Galatians. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how I persecuted, intensely persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. That's his comment. Look down the book of Philippians. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Watch out for the dog, those dogs, those people, the, who, the, the mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human uh, effort. Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could, indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. 
I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church, and as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them, them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. What a transformation. Now, my question is this. If Paul was such a religious man and he observed the law without fault, why would he need saved at all? If Judaism can save a person, then why this? Why would Jesus even appear to him? Leave him alone. The guy sat under Gamaliel. He was the, the famous uh, teacher way back when in, in Paul's time of the law. He sat under him. He was taught under him. And he was so zealous to, 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 to practice his Jewish faith he called himself flawless and faultless. Hmm. Why would Jesus have to appear to him? Well, let me give you that answer. Because Jesus did not come to establish a religion. He came to save the lost. And he came to restore a relationship that man lost with God from the very beginning. Not to establish any religion. Look in the book of Galatians uh, Chapter 3, verse 10, this is from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, because it is written, everyone who does not continue doing everything written in the book of, this, of the law is cursed. Now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law, because the, righteousness will, the righteous will live by faith. But the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. What's he saying? You can't be saved whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. You can't be saved by religion. Judaism can't save you. And all the religions of the world can't save you. And Jesus appeared to him to let him know, you are going to suffer great things for my name's sake, but you know what? I came to save that which was lost. I came to establish a relationship between God and man. That's what I've come to do, not to establish a religion. So, in the book of Romans, for those who really think, and some really do think today, well, if you're Jewish, you're saved. That's not true. If you're a Jew, you're saved. That's not true. And I'm not saying it. Look at this in Romans chapter 10. This is the Apostle Paul who was a Jew of the Jews, if there ever was one, who kept the law flawlessly. Here's what he says. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. What? I thought they're saved. Paul, what are you talking about? For I bear them a witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness, which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring up Christ from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and your heart, that is the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart man, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation." 
For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile, there's only one way you can be saved. Jesus says, I am the way, truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. He is the only way. Science can't save you. Religion cannot save you. Living life the way we want to live our life can't save us. Jesus came on a mission, and that mission was to save which was lost. In Acts chapter 9, note it, well, before I even get there. We talk about religions of the world, and you see people that supposedly call themselves Christians at one time, they have kind of left the faith. And now they're promoting and saying things like, it doesn't matter what religion you belong to, because you see, there are many ways that lead to the living God. Well, I beg to differ with that, because Jesus said he is the only way, and he's the only one that proved his claims by a resurrection from the dead. So, let's go to Egypt, when they had all these false gods that they worshipped, and they appealed to, and cried out for help, and mercy, and etc., etc. But yet, ten plagues brought the nation to its very foundation, because every plague was God defying every god of the Egyptians. So, that most powerful nation was brought down to its knees and foundation. Why? Because God's presence was manifested, and when it was, their gods proved to be no gods at all. Can you say amen? amen? And then, of course, we have the house of Dagon. The house of Dagon, the Philistine god, the, the fish god, that was the greatest of all gods, was there to protect and keep them safe, and etc., etc., etc. Well, guess what? It happened to be that they captured the Ark of the Covenant. They brought the Ark of the Covenant into that place of the house of Dagon. And when they stood it next to Dagon, in the morning, they found out that Dagon was fallen over on his face. Well, they put him back up in his place and thought there must have been a strong wind blowing that night. And when they did, they waited till the next morning. And when they went in the next morning, not only was he fallen on his face, but he was now decapitated and his limbs severed. There was only a torso that was left. And they decided, we think we better get rid of this Ark of the Covenant. Get this presence of God out of here. What was God showing them? All these gods you think you believe in and you can trust and you think that's going to lead you to a place of what? Victory and eternal bliss are nothing. There's only one way. You see what God's presence does? You know what's wrong in our churches today? There's no presence of God. Just come on in, do our song, run around, do a little of this, hang from a chandelier and go home. Bring your donut with you when you go. You've heard me say it. We need God's presence. And that's what we need and should long for. In our hearts, our lives, our homes, our churches, our young people need to see God show up. Not fanaticism, not wildfire, but God himself showing up. Can you say amen to that? And that's what we promote. That's why on Wednesday nights we're coming together and going to worship God until we create a habitation for Him to live His big life right here in our midst to manifest His presence, to transform human lives. Preaching is only one avenue. And we preach to penetrate the very hearts and souls of people with the life-changing truths of the gospel. But I tell you, when God's presence shows up, you talk about getting pointed in the right direction. Look at Acts chapter 9, verse 5. Here, when, he, when Jesus appeared to uh, Paul, here's what He said to him. This is the King James. And he said, Who art thou, Lord? 
And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Now, when you read that, it's kind of blind. You know, you, what's he talking about? Kick against the pricks. It sounds like he's doing something to hurt Jesus. No, no. You see, kicking against the pricks is a Greek proverb, and it refers to an ox goad. An ox goad was like a stick where they had at the, at the, a tip, like an arrow at the point of it. It came to a point it was like made of metal or iron. And he, they would use it to goad the ox to go in the direction that they wanted to go. Well, what would happen is if the ox would rebel against that and kick against it, it would go deeper into the flesh of the ox and cause more pain. So what Jesus was saying, you're in your rebellion to come against me and my church and my work upon the earth is like an ox. It's as senseless as an ox kicking against the pricks because you see you're fighting a hopeless battle that you can't win. So, Paul, wake up. How many of you have tried to use your ox goad with your loved ones to point them to Christ in the right direction? See, all the things you think about what you're getting in life, you see, all that you think is good is going to one day end up in eternal fire. And you with it if you don't come to Christ. So what we try to do is to go them. It means to persuade them, to prompt them, to go in the right direction. This is the way walk ye in it. And that's why we have the preaching of the gospel, to penetrate the hearts of people, to let them know, hey, you're on the wrong path, you're on the wrong road. It doesn't matter what religion you belong to. It matters whether or not you belong to the church of the living God and you know Jesus Christ is your Savior and you have a wonderful relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus came to establish, a relationship, not a religion. And we try to point them, to go them in the right direction, to, to see to it that, you know, instead of rebelling against God, which is senseless, because you can't fight against God and win. No. We stimulate them to come to know Christ. And everything around us right now in the world is doing everything it can, especially to get our young people and to go them in the wrong direction. Saying things like this. Harris has said, I got a five week course on how, how to abandon your faith because you see young people, I know what's happened to you like me. When I was growing up and my, my parents had me in church and I had to listen to the preacher preach, I gave my life to Christ, et cetera, et cetera. But you know what? After all these years, I found out there's discrepancies in the Bible. We talk about miracles, but we don't see them. We talk about answers to prayer, but we don't have many. So you know what? I'm going to be myself. I'm free to be who I am. And that doesn't mean I need to know God like, you, like I was taught to know God. And if you feel the same way I do, young person, you know how many young people out there want to hear that? There are a lot that are out there. When they leave, they, they say, the comfort zone of, of their childhood, where they grew up in their home, their family, their local church, they get off into college somewhere, they got some brilliant, bright professor telling them, be yourself. God made you that way. Be yourself. Jesus says no. We're in a fallen world. We're living in a fallen state. This flesh is fallen. Jesus came to restore life, to save that which was lost. And that includes more than just our personal relationship with him. Look at these things I want to bring out. Look at Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. 
What was lost in the fall? Just man's relationship with God? Mm, there's more than that. But let's start with that. It's called personal redemption. He came to redeem us from our fallen state as individuals to do what? To fill up that emptiness inside a person's heart. There's a, there's a God-shaped hole in the, in the heart of every man. And every man is looking for that to be, uh, to be filled, to have fulfillment, acceptance, to experience life to the full. What they're looking for is to know Christ as Savior and Lord, to have a relationship with God Almighty. But guess what? They're trying to find it in alcohol, pornography, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all these other things that they're trying to find it in. It's not found there. It's not there at all. They don't know they need Christ. You see, if any man be in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he is a new what? You see, the first creation died, was separated from God. A new creation means a new species of being who never before existed. That when Christ comes into the human heart, what he does is he takes up that hole in the heart of man and he fills it with himself and there is a joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. This is not religion, this is a new birth. A born-again experience, an acceptance of the living God who comes in and takes up residency inside your heart. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost entering in, bringing their everything, that, all, their, all their luggage and everything. He's just coming in, bringing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, temperance, faithfulness, the love of God manifesting in that human heart. A change takes place, a transformation takes place, and guess what? You're not as you used to be before. You were in darkness, but now you're in the light. You were blind, but now you see. You see clearly, praise God, that He is the only way, truth, and life. There is no other way to get to glory. And if you want to make heaven your eternal destination, and guess what? We're all living in the land of the dying. And when we die, we go to the land of the living. And where we spend our eternal living is the most important thing for us to know. Because there's only two places. One's called heaven, one's called hell. Right now, the existing heaven and hell, which are going to be changed down the road somewhere. But there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. There's going to be also hell is going to be cast into the lake of fire. But Jesus taught that. The rich man and Lazarus. One's a place of comfort. One's a place of awful discomfort and pain. And so, because we're an eternal spirit being, we'll never cease to exist. We're going to live on throughout eternity. Where we spend it, once you get there, guess what? You're there eternally. Don't be like that 80-year-old woman that came up to me after I did a, a, a funeral service and just said, Sonny, she, she thought I was young. <laughs> I know where I'm spending my eternity. And I thought, what a breath of fresh air this woman knows God. And she just bellowed out in front of all these people, someone's grandmother, I'm going straight to hell and play strip poker with the devil. Her exact words to me. I was so stunned by what she said. I said to her, you don't have to. She just looked at me. I said, you don't have to. You can come to Christ. You can know Jesus. But that goes to show you the mentality that exists out there in the world today. I'm telling you, God wants to show up in communities. He wants to manifest his presence because there's hard-nosed cases that are out there like the Apostle Paul who wants to destroy Christianity. You, you think they're not out there wanting to destroy Christianity right now? Get, get it out of our schools, out of our kids' minds and thoughts and all that. The, the devil is on a rampage because his time is short and shorter and shorter and shorter. He's about to find out he's going to be cast into, a, into a, the abyss for a thousand years here soon. He wants to bring as many as he can with him to eternal separation from God. Man needs redeemed. 
Jesus provides redemption. And thank God, hallelujah, we don't have to suffer shame, eternal suffering, or separation from God. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus and the grace of God. Hallelujah. Are you glad you're saved? Are you glad you're washed in the blood? An heir of God, a joint heir with Jesus. You've had a transformation take place. I am not who I was before I got saved. I've been transformed. I've had my Damascus Road experience. Have you? And you know what? You could sit in church like this and think that you are. But if you haven't made that decision and you don't know that you know, I, I just cry out to everyone. Get it right with God. I, I, there was some woman at the mall yesterday and Andrew and I were having lunch there. And, and long story short, she gave me her background, you know, Catholicism. And I, and I just said, well, I was raised in Catholicism as well. You know, and I said, but I've been born again, washed in the blood. And I, you know, I realized we weren't taught that in, in the church there. And I said, that one of the things that really motivated me to separate was when I asked my priest, I said to the priest, I said, how come, you know, we pay all this money for novenas and all that for getting our loved ones out of purgatory and it doesn't exist. And his words, exact words, this is my testimony. I can say it, right? Yeah. He said to me. He said, well, now that you know that, we won't charge you for your dead loved ones. We'll just do them for nothing. But the church has to make money somehow. Wow. Exact words. And I decided, this isn't for me. First of all, there's no place. And he told me there was no place. He admitted there wasn't one. But this woman's convinced there is. And was so mad, so angry with me because I said, my priest said there's no, even though I said my priest said there's no such place. And if you know, really, if you study Catholicism even today, they'll tell you right now they've changed on that. They don't much believe in that anymore but look at what how it affects someone who's set under something like that and they think that there is they actually think they've got to go somewhere and be and suffer before they could be qualified to make heaven i don't know about you but i read my bible that tells me in second corinthians chapter five to be absent from the body is to be present with the lord and paul the apostle said i'd rather leave this realm and go be with him which is far better he suffered for me. I don't have to suffer for myself. Aren't you glad? Yes, thank you. Hallelujah. You're glad you're saved. Amen. I'm not going to water down what the Word of God teaches for anyone. Number two, did you hear of cosmic redemption? Cosmic redemption? Look at it. Romans chapter 8. Cosmic redemption. Verses 21 through 23. The creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. Whoa. Did you hear that? The creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. Even the creation needed redeemed or needs redemption. See, for if we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time, and we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. Hallelujah. Anybody ready for a new body? Anybody ready for a glorified body? When Arthur no longer exists, Arthur, first name, Ritus, last name, Arthur Ritus is gone forever. 
Are you glad for that? No sin, no sickness, no disease, no mental anguish whatsoever. No uh, traumatizing experiences in, in your life. All, nothing but peace, love, and joy in your life. Well, the whole creation is crying out. And the Bible tells us some of the manifestations of these cries are what? Earthquakes that will take place. All kinds of uh, weather patterns that will take place. You see, in Syria and Turkey, it's up to 50,000 people lost their lives. And God was not responsible for the earthquake. But Jesus made it very clear that in the last days, there's going to be more earthquakes than you can even imagine that will take place. He is coming and he's coming soon. It's getting nearer and nearer. We know that it is. But these people lost their lives. They lost their possessions. They lost their homes, their businesses, their livelihoods. And the list goes on and on. And, and most importantly, many have lost peace of mind that have been left behind. They don't know what's going on. But it wasn't God. It was creation crying out for what? Redemption and change. We're living in a fallen world. And every realm of life, every kingdom has been affected by the fall of man. Look in the book of, a book of 2 Peter, what it says. Chapter 3. The Lord's not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness, but his long suffering toward us. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens, cosmic redemption, will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness looking for and hastening the coming of the day of, the, of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved? Being on fire and the elements will melt with fervent he, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Guess what? You think that fire might be the fire of his presence because our God is a consuming fire? When he decides finally to come down to this earth in full manifestation of his fiery presence, it's going to be all renovated by fire. This is called cosmic redemption. Then look at the book of uh, Revelation 21. If this doesn't make you shout, I'll take you to Walmart after church and buy you a new shouter, okay? Oh I promise, I, 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 I do that. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven, cosmic redemption, and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring. God likes spring water. Of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this. And I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, uh, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all the liars, 
they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. I like the first part, not the last part. What about you? You like the first part? Hallelujah. No more sorrow, no more sighing, no more crying, no more dying, no more woes. Those things are gone forever. No more pain in your body ever, ever again. Praise God. A new heavens, a new earth, a new body. Full of God. God's glory. And those that want to do what they want to do, they're going to be on the outside looking in. And that's, that's a shame. But we're talking about complete transformation. And you ready for this one? This is, if you're a dog, any kind of animal lover, it's going to be animal redemption. Look at Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 through 8. This is from the New Living Translation of the Bible. In that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling, the baby lamb, will be safe with the lion. And a little child will lead them. The cow will graze near the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. The baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put its hand in a nest of deadly snakes without harm. Uh, honey, where's Carly? Oh, she's out back playing with the snakes. Oh, just the cobra? Well, the python. There's a few others there. What are they doing? Oh, they're just wrapping around or they're having a good time. Wow. Did you see that? See, we cannot connect with that, can we? We don't see that a lion and a lamb lion. These are enemies of each other. They're carnivorous. You know what's going to happen. But when that time comes, when death is removed, and praise God, Satan is eliminated from human contact, and death is overcome and removed from our society for 1,000 years, there's not going to be that. The lion, they're going to eat hay. Probably vegetables. They become vegetarians. <laughs> Amen? Not cannibals. <laughs> Think about that. Redemption, even in the animal kingdom. So Jesus came to redeem us, yes, personally, individually, yes, in every other way. Cosmic redemption, animal redemption, and make all things new. Now, as we close, look at 1 John chapter 2. And I pray that this really makes things more clear to all of us. Clearer, more clear. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For all that's in this world, the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world's passing away. And the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. In other words, this world offers nothing permanent. There's nothing permanent to offer anybody in this world. Look at the message translation. Sometimes I like to use this one because it's, it just adds a few this and that things that I like. Don't love the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. Love, the wor- love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. Practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself. Wanting to appear important has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from Him. The world and all its wanting, wanting, wanting is on the way out. But whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. 
I'm preaching better than you're shouting out there right now. I'm telling you, listen, this world has nothing to offer that's permanent. No matter how satisfied we get about something, we, it's an insatiable desire. Don't you love Christmases when your kids get all these mounds of toys and all that when they're little and they see all these toys and they play with the box on the next morning rather than all the toys? Because they're bored with, the, with all the gifts. They like this box here better. Go buy some boxes and cover them and present them. They can play hide and seek inside the boxes or whatever. Anything we have in this life, I'm bored, I'm so bored. We have no reason to be bored in the United States of America. Our children have no reason to be bored. They've got computers in their pocket and their cell phones and all that. They've got games they can play. They sit somewhere and they can play a game, whatever those games are, on their, on their phones and all that. Bored? Come on. It's all there. This world offers nothing that can satisfy the human heart. The desires of the human heart are insatiable. That's why no matter what it is, one drink leads to another, to another. Why? Because you're not satisfied. One drug uses, goes to another, to another. Why? Because you're not satisfied. There's a push behind that. It's called an unclean spirit, a spirit of lust that says, I want more and more and more and more and more. So you get to the place where you're in the grip of that. But let me tell you, someone who offers everything that satisfies his name is Jesus. Everything. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 13. We'll close right here with these verses. With these individuals that have defected from their faith, you know what they're doing? They're trying to influence others and bring them along. Who does that sound like to you? Isn't that exactly what the devil wants to bring others with him to a place of eternal suffering? He's trying to influence all these people out there in college level, even high school. You realize that these kids that are even at the, not even... High school, junior high, are being taught these things that they were teaching them back years ago in college about their identity and who they aren't or who they are and all that. That's what they're hearing today. Be who you are. In other words, embrace the moment. Even though it contradicts the will of God, the plan of God, the way of God, it doesn't matter. Just embrace it. Because they want to get, along with the devil, them all to join them in the lake of fire. That's the, that's the motive. That's the motive. We have the same spirit of faith according as it is written, I believe, and therefore have I spoken. Did you hear that? You know, I've been criticized so much for saying you've got to speak your faith, speak your faith, speak your faith. If you don't speak your faith, you won't get saved because it's with your mouth you confess to salvation. And salvation means healed, delivered, set free, and made whole. Speak your faith to being saved. Speak your faith to being healed, made whole, preserved, delivered, protected. Speak your faith. I believe, therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you for all things or for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not. We don't give up, faint, lose heart, cave in. But though our outward man perish, mm, yes it is, Yet the inward man is renewed day by day for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more eternal, exceeding rate of an eternal way to glory. While we look not at the things that are seen in this world, but at the things which are not seen for the things which are seen are what? Temporal, temporal temporary, something to change. But the things which are not are not seen are what? Eternal, for eternal. Beloved, we've all come to a place where we're actually living in our lives 
in such a way so as to make a decision. That's what this life is all about. And even though you began in the faith, doesn't mean like these others, you're going to stay in the faith. If you heed to what's being taught in our school systems and by these others who have defected from the faith. You know what the Bible says? As a matter of fact, one of them, I read his article, he actually said this. He called it denunciation. He said, but the Bible calls it apostasy. He used the very word apostasy. In other words, I apostatized. I no longer believe in Jesus Christ. I no longer believe in God. What hap has happened to that person? I'll tell you exactly what. First Peter chapter four, First Timothy chapter four, verse one. In latter days, in latter times, many shall depart from the faith. The depart means to apostatize, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, and teaching things that are false. We're seeing it today, in every realm. In now it's in grade school. You realize in grade school they're starting to teach them about their sexual identity. I'm not making it up. Look it up for yourself. It's time the church wake up and, and we start saying, we need your presence, Father. As you appear to Paul on the Damascus Road, the road of transformation, we'll preach from the depth of our souls, but you've got to show up. You've got to show up. You've got to heal their bodies, set them free, make them whole, transform their lives. Get them to come back to God, praise God. Wake up, everyone. I was blind, but now I see. There's a place in Joel that talk, talks about the valley of decision. Have you, hear, have you ever heard of that? Anybody know about the valley of decision? And many have used that, and I'm probably guilty of it myself, thinking that, well, in a sense, you could use it as a law of double reference, but the valley of decision really means you've got to make a decision for Christ. But no, no, that's not technically what the valley of decision is. The valley of decision that he's talking about is the valley where judgment of God is pronounced upon those who have rejected Christ. It's uh, the ungodly. So if you're in the valley of decision, you don't want to be there. So my appeal this morning is before anyone gets to the valley of decision where God makes a decision what your eternal punishment is going to be, come to Christ now when you can. Make a decision for Christ now. Now, second, uh, what Corinthians 6.2, now is the time, now is the hour of salvation. Now, come to him now. While you have breath in you, come to him now. You know, every single day of our lives, there should be a conscious awareness. It could be my last day on this planet. You realize that? You ever think of that? Every day we get closer to eternity. Every day. Let's shout it from the mountaintops. People need saved. That woman was so offended because I just said, my priest said that there's no place called purgatory. Oh my goodness, she said, I will defend that until the day I die. I'm like, you got other priests telling, they're saying this, it doesn't exist. There's confusion even among themselves. Look, if the clergy's confused, what are the people going to be? It's time to rise up and take a bold stand for what truth really is. I believe with all my heart that if you haven't been transformed from sinner to saint right now, then you need to be. You need to be. And your loved ones, they need to be born again. Don't trust in religion to get them into heaven. And if need be, get on our faces before God until he appears. His presence is in manifestation and their eyes are open. They can clearly see their need for God's saving grace. Let's all stand together before the Lord.